0: Welcome, beautiful people to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. On today's show, we're going to talk about this new PlayStation 5 model that has been out there in the world. We've seen it. We're going to talk a bit about Overwatch 2. We're going to end it by talking about Rockstar, two weeks in a row. But first, I actually want to start talking about Pokemon at a round table interview during the latest Pokemon World Championship in Japan Pokemon company COO Takato Utsunomiya hopefully I pronounced that right commented on the company's game output quote I think in general if you look at the past the path we've taken up until now has been this constant release always regularly Releasing products on a fairly fixed kind of a cadence, you might say. Always having these products able to be introduced and new experiences for our customers. And that's how we've operated up until now. I think we're still operating in that way, but there's more and more conversations as the development environments change about how we can continue to do this while making sure that we're ensuring really quality products are also being introduced. Now, I've criticized pokemon plenty of times in the past i've always been very careful about my criticism of pokemon simply because i really uh, you know i really am approaching it as an outsider i do not play pokemon have not played pokemon since like red and blue probably you know it's just not really a franchise that i'm interested in but it is a franchise that i have a very strong connection to because, you know, my time with Nintendo and, you know, just the simple fact that I have, you know, met and communicated and talked with a lot of Pokemon fans. And I think the way that I've always looked at the franchise is that in a sense, I do believe that Pokemon does take a bit of advantage of their fans, you know, simply to the fact that I think that the Pokemon company is very you know, extremely well aware of how hooked uh, they have their fan base, you know, to the point where I do think that they know only cut corners. I do think that they look at their games, they look at their development cycles, they look at their budgets, and I think if the if the choice come down to, you know, spending more money to create a uh, or deliver a better package i think they will always just take the other route of saying no let's invest less because that's how you get a better return on your initial investment i think they as a team they do look at things and especially i mean i mean if we look at the visuals of these games it's 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 probably just like notoriously awful looking when you think about these games and i think for for pokemon they use the data that they've accrued with their sales and their feedback and i think that they do internally look at it as like ah you know we could have a longer development cycle but that also means that we have to invest more money into this why do that if you know our fans are telling us that they're happy with what we're doing you know, and it's not what what people need to understand, and it's something that uh I I've brought up a bit with talking about the Red Dead Redemption story last week, in that I think that companies do look at your your, your comments, right? if you make comments, reviews, and things like that, I think they do take those things into consideration. But the weight of those things in terms of how they affect decisions are weighted less than the amount of money that comes in for any given project, especially nowadays because um, things like review bombing are happening, right? So I don't know. I'm going to have to look this up as I'm talking about it. What is the current state of Pokemon Scarlet on Metacritic? So the Meta score is 72. I'm looking at Scarlet. That is uh, obviously, you know, reviews from media outlets. But then the user score is 3.4. But then the issue when it comes to review bombing, and we're going to actually talk a little bit uh, more about that with the Overwatch 2 story. The issue with review bombing is, be- is it's it's become so normal now it's become so regular at this point that for a company it's no longer good data because most of these reviews are just giving a low number and for the most part they're not really giving good concrete information in terms of like why we're why we're we're rating it low so you combine that with the fact that they sold 10 million copies in three days that is an indicator to a company. That well, you guys obviously love what we're doing because we've never had access to more information about a video game than we do right now. Like, there was a moment in time where the only information about a video game came from a magazine that dropped once a month, (laughs) like, that was really it. And at some point, uh, in that monthly release of that magazine, you'll get reviews. So, you know, GamePro, EGM, for example, would give you reviews. If you didn't have access to that, or sometimes, you know, you would just go to a newsstand and, you know, it, not even buy it, just sort of flip through it. And then a bunch of these companies started putting plastic over it. They, they got, uh, they got, they smartened up. They realized what people were doing. So you'd, you'd have to buy the magazine, which I think was like five bucks or something like that five, $6, either that, or you would, you know, go by word of mouth, you know, when you go to school hearing from, from, from friends and other people about the, the way that they felt about, uh, a game, or maybe you'd go into the video game store and, you know, like I had a local one uh, here that I used to go to and talk to the owner and, and see if they played it. Like that was really how we got our information, but then the problem with it is like, you know, um, when you're going by word of mouth you're talking to people that haven't completed the entire game so you would have to rely on these reviews that really only came out once a month and you would kind of have to rely on photos right you weren't even seeing the game in motion unless you know the campaign was so big that they had tv commercials for example now we live in this moment where we have access to more information than we ever had uh you know not even just from companies themselves directly giving us uh, footage and obviously nintendo has been one of the best pokemon regularly has their own pokemon direct they just had one not too long ago and we now have access to you know previews and reviews we have access to streamers who you know the moment the game is available publicly you know Three in the morning, the game unlocks, they're, they're, they're live streaming on Twitch, so you get that really raw reaction, you're able to see that footage, uh, and it is sort of word of mouth. You're watching a person that maybe you do trust their opinion, watching their game. So I think a lot of companies say to themselves, well, you have access to all of this data to inform you about this game, right? And you look at a game like Pokemon, where they showed footage beforehand, and it didn't really look super great. But they sold 10 million copies so what consumers are saying is like yeah you know yeah this doesn't look really great yeah the trees look like garbage and yeah there's moments here where this looks like a nintendo 64 game and yeah if you compare this to breath of the wild that launched with the system this looks uh, horrendously awful right uh they're still going out there and they're buying it um, at launch or you know within the first 24 hours, we, we were getting information about how broken and buggy the game was. And it's not like that, that didn't slow down sales. You know, people were telling themselves, uh, you know, I'm okay. I'm okay with it being buggy and, and, and broken. And it obviously not, uh, ready for launch. I don't care. I just, that core experience is, I'm so addicted to that core experience that none of this, uh, really matters. And the thing that I tell people is that unfortunately, that excite, that excitement, that combination of really FOMO, right, that fear of missing out, because unlike once again back in the day where seeing a video game was either you caught a commercial while you were watching a TV show uh, or a magazine, you weren't exposed to that game ever. Now we live in this moment where you have this uh, computer in your pocket. The moment you pull it out, whether you're on Twitter, whether you're on Instagram, whether you're on uh, YouTube, TikTok, if you're a gamer, you're inside that algorithm. If you're a Pokemon gamer, now you're in the Pokemon algorithm. So even if you say to yourself, "Oh, I, I don't know if I want to get this game," you're you're being bombarded by footage from the game and streamers clipping things. And wow, you know, it looks like that person's having fun, and that FOMO sets in, and a lot of you know these companies they take advantage of that now I, th- I feel like that's also kind of part of their strategy it, it really is something where the pokemon company i i do feel they look at their products and they say you guys are so addicted to my product that i don't I, my my adjustments and changes to the game uh, it's okay if they're incremental because you guys have told me that you're okay with this uh that's why i always like to use the the uh, burger analogy like right now I'm, I'm, I'm writing another video for YouTube to put out and I added it in there and I brought this up before on on the podcast where if I'm a business owner and I own a burger stand and it costs me a dollar to make a burger and I sell it for 20 bucks and there's a you know a line of people out the door every single day If someone comes up to me and says, hey, I can get you better ingredients to make a better tasting burger, but your cost goes up to $5, I'm going to say no. The reason why I'm going to say no is because, hey, I'm building it for a dollar. Why would I increase my cost if there's people, if if I have a line outside the door every single day? Um, But if that line outside my door wasn't there every single day. If I started noticing, like, wow, I'm really not getting many customers as I used to, that means that I'm now going to start considering, like, okay, maybe if I increase my cost but make a better tasting burger, I'll, I'll be able to get people back. And I think that's really where Pokemon is at, where it's like, hey, I, I don't need to have a lengthy development um, cycle, I don't need to really increase and focus on animations and visuals because you guys are telling me that you're okay with what's what's happening. And I think that's really at the core of capitalism and the core of, of every business is businesses are really beholden to their shareholders. And I think for them, it's it's simple math It's they're not looking for a healthy return, they're not looking to break even, they're not looking for, you know, to have a, you know, an earnings call, and say, hey, our return on, on this particular title is 20%. No, they're shooting for 200, 300%. And and that's why we're stuck in this, you know, microtransaction landscape right now, uh, because of that. So, you know, I'm going to give Pokemon a little bit of credit for them to publicly say this, to, for them to say like, hey, you know, yeah, maybe it's a conversation we have to have right now. Maybe we are um, focusing on, we're trying to do too much at one time. We're, we're trying to put out too many different, um, products out there maybe we do need to slow it down and the thing about it is that we are in a moment in video games we have access to the technology where it's easier than ever in my opinion for companies um to slow down because it, it's almost like hey you can still keep the current game healthy for years you know through expansions through balance changes through things that you can add to it uh, uh to keep people going with what you're current, currently doing or or utilizing outside studios and amazing outside talent to maybe remaster some of your old games. They've done that a few times and use that as a way to fill in the gaps between one game and another uh, so that the, ne- the next game that, that that comes out, you know, obviously we're about to move into the Switch 2, which is, you know, a much more powerful piece of hardware for you to take full advantage of that hardware for the next time the the issue with that that pokemon is going to have to battle with internally is that it really is a decision made purely to serve uh, the consumers and i think for them they're going to have to weigh it and they have to say to themselves okay if we invest more if we take a longer development cycle if we slow down the amount of games that we that we put out is that going to lead to new consumers? Are we going to get new players um, to come back in? Because they know they have the regular players. Like that's not the problem, right? They know that they can ship you garbage and you guys would just buy it. And that's something that you just have to come to terms with. If, if that sentence bothers you and you go, what are you talking about, Joel? I'm not buying it. You're buying garbage. That's essentially what you're doing. You're buying a uh, lesser than product. You're buying a product and you should know farewell that this is one of the richest publishers. <laughs> this is one of the richest uh, brands in uh, basically entertainment history. Like they have access to the money and resources to deliver you a, a better product. They just choose not to. But at the same time, you choose to continue to, to buy. That sentence isn't is something that should bother you. There are people out there that I've seen that go on Reddit. They go on Twitter and they go, yeah, I know it's not the best. You know, I know that this uh, tree looks like it came from a PlayStation 1 game. I don't care. And it's like, I respect that. I respect people coming forward and say, you know what? I just don't care. The core game is still there. I'm still having fun. I'm still enjoying it. Even with all the crap that surrounds it, I still I love it and I respect that. Um, but yeah, I think that's really going to be the future for them. It's not really just as simple as like, okay, cool. We'll, you know, uh, slow down or we'll release less games uh, because now you have uh, a lot of people that own chunks of this company. They're going to go, wait a minute, why are we doing this? This seems to be working, right? So it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Our next story deals with the PlayStation 5. So video footage was posted online, apparently showing the new PS5 hardware revision now some have called this the ps5 slim that's actually not the right term for it and i think that part of the confusion was a few months back during the xbox ftc trial i think xbox had mentioned a ps5 i think they they called a ps5 slim if i'm not mistaken and they said that will retail for four hundred dollars but i think maybe that term was not really correct um because we kind of already know what this is because months ago this was leaked by a website called Insider Gamer, Insider Gaming by a writer who goes by the name Tom Henderson. Where he said that at some point PlayStation 5 is going to release a piece of hardware that's going to become the regular base edition of the PlayStation 5 that will not have a disk drive but will sell a disk drive add-on accessory. Now he tweeted uh, uh, about this and he said that he can't verify the footage, but what he was saying is that his understanding is the console ships with a regular side plate to look like the digital edition and the add-on drive is another plate that just snaps onto it. Um, And some people were noting in that video that the person showed the bottom of the unit and it does sort of look like it shows uh, a separation uh, on the console. So it looks like something that yes sort of fits with what Tom Henderson was saying where, you know, PlayStation 5 as it is right now, you can just lift up the side plates and you can clip on new colors. So PlayStation sells a purple, a red, a black, for example. Uh, so you could clip onto the side so you could change the color of the system. What Tom Henderson is saying is that they are now going to sell a um a a a, a clip-on plate that also has a disk drive attached. And then my guess is that you clip it on and then there's probably a small wire in the back is going to be, that's my guess is how this is going to work. And you kind of plug that into a port in the back. I I can't see a world where this thing clips on and somehow it just magically connects to the system. I'm sure there's probably like an extra cable um, or something like that coming out the side. This also sort of, so, of a, a tweet that I had sent not too long ago about those Spider-Man face plates that PlayStation sold that people were upset that they sold out so quick. And I was like, well, it's obvious they didn't manufacture many because they're about to uh, revise the hardware. It doesn't really make much sense. These new plates probably won't fit that new hardware. And that's uh, probably what might be happening here. Obviously, we, we, we don't know. This is a guess. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that... Um, one of the reasons why I want to really speak about this is because I look at this as a really brilliant way for PlayStation to gain new data because, you know, whenever a company does anything and I mean anything in this industry, I always ask myself the question of why, why are they doing this? And I always like to look at it through the lens of business and profits and future and things like that. Not, I don't like to look at things through the lens of, hey, this is better for consumers because businesses don't do things that are just better for consumers. It has to be a combination. It has to be A, better for consumers and B, cheaper for me (laughs) or better for consumers and um, it increases my profits right? It's very rare to see a business make a decision that just goes for, hey, this is better for consumers, right? So when companies ever re- revise a piece of hardware, which we've seen historically, we watch companies, uh, we watch um, these platforms, Xbox, PlayStation, even Nintendo, revise their hardware and re-release it as slim models. Uh, what it really is, is you know, basic math. If they Sell you a slim model. Uh, theoretically, it, that means that that new version is cheaper for them to 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 build, which means that now their profit margin when they sell a piece of hardware gets gets bigger, right? Whatever the increase is, even if it's a dollar, it still makes sense. Uh, the other thing about it is, if I I sell you a slimmer model, theoretically, it's also jeez, um, what's the what's the uh, what it's what's the uh word that i'm looking for it obviously has less weight right so it weighs less than the model that was before it which means that it is now cheaper for me to ship you these units so but then the other part of all of this is i think that playstation is going to use this as a really good way to gather more data about a digital future because now there will be a moment in time um, depending on when this thing releases, but there may be a moment in time, you know, January of next year where you will walk into a store. You will go to best buy.com, amazon.com, and there will only be one PlayStation. It's going to be PlayStation five, but that PlayStation five is going to be this new model, meaning that it's going to be marketed to you for $400. um, But You would only be able to use it digitally, but it's not going to be called the digital edition because for an extra one hundred dollars, you can buy a disk drive add on. And I think PlayStation is going to look at this as, well, how many people are going to buy this PlayStation five that I'm going to market to you at four hundred dollars? I'm not going to call it the digital edition because the digital edition, um, when you see that as a consumer, it automatically tells your brain, okay, this is an addition, which means there must be others, right? There must be another addition. Uh, this one is just saying, here's the PlayStation 5. It's now $400. And that's that's part of like the marketing, uh, you know, marketing can play around with that a little bit now, where it's like now they can sort of market a PlayStation 5 at $400. And I think that PlayStation is going to look at, well, how many consumers are going to look at this and Go, ah oh man, should, do I pay the extra one hundred dollars to add that disc drive on? And they're gonna look at is there? What's the time between someone buying a digital and buying a physical? If someone buys a uh, this discless version of PlayStation Five and they don't immediately buy the add on and they just take it home, um, do they ever choose to buy that add on? Is there a moment where three months from today? a game comes out that for whatever reason convinces them to go by physically. And I think that all of this is is great data for PlayStation to prepare for a PlayStation that is completely digital only. And it's it this is a moment in video games that I have personally dreaded for quite some time. I personally do not think that this is gonna happen in the next generation. But I think what's going to happen is given the success of what PlayStation is is about to do, I think it will inform the launch of PlayStation 6. I think it's very possible that when the PlayStation 6 launches, it's going to launch without a disk drive and they are going to provide a disk drive add on um, to it at launch instead of shipping it straight away uh, with a disk drive attached to it. Because once again, you immediately lower your costs right out of the gate. You immediately lower your shipping costs. You can ship more PlayStation 5s or whatever PlayStation 6s, or we're talking about the future. You can ship more of those in a single box than you can if your uh, manufacturing systems that come, on with, come with a disc attached to it, obviously because they're a little bit skinnier. Um, you can also ship more disk drives in a single box separately right so even if six you know six playstations fit in a box you can maybe fit 10 disk drives in one once again lowering your shipping costs um and yeah i I think i don't think that this means that playstation 6 is going to be digital only but it is very likely that we are heading towards a future where in 2035 or whatever, when PlayStation 7 comes out, that it could be digital only. And I've been saying for a while, this is something that I really, act, I, I really, really severely dread. I dread the day that our industry joins every other entertainment industry because that's really where movies and music are right now. There are a lot of... um. Brick-and-mortar stores right now targets the Best Buys that have already begun shrinking their their music sections, have already begun shrinking their movie sections. You know, music sections right now are really like vinyl <laughs> because the sales are so high. Uh, or the sales have increased like crazy over the last few years, right? Um, and I do dread the moment that we are going to join the other entertainment industries uh, and and I think what really sucks and what really bothers me so much about this digital, you know, versus physical thing, and the fact that right now we're at this moment where more people are buying digital over physical. I think there was a—I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, so please don't, don't don't quote me on this. But I think there was a study done in 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 Britain. I think it was uh, or, or somewhere in Europe uh, where I think the numbers were like eight out of 10, like eight out of every 10 games were digital. It was either eight or nine out of 10. Um, consumers prefer digital over physical. And it's just so interesting that consumers have made this choice, right? Because think about it for the longest amount of time, um, manufacturers gave us the choice right? They, they showed us these two pills and they said, hey, you can have this game digital or physical. And the thing about it is that both of the games were identical, right? The only difference was the the, the delivery. At one moment in time, there was a very, dis, almost like a distinct advantage to go digital versus physical. But as time has gone on, that I feel like that, that barrier of entry in terms of the time it takes for you to actually get your game has lowered, right? When we think about... Uh, uh, shipping and Amazon doing, you know, two day and shipping and all that type of stuff. Um, but consumers are still choosing digital. And the thing about it is that they, they cost, I've always found this so funny how they cost exactly the same, right? The digital version is 70, uh, the one at retail is 70, even though, um, you know, um, EA gets a bigger slice of profit when they sold it to you digitally than physically because they don't have to cut a, you know, they don't have to cut a piece in for shipping. They don't have to cut a piece in for manufacturer. Fa- manufacturer, they don't have to cut GameStop and Amazon in on a piece, right? They just have to cut in Xbox and PlayStation and, and Nintendo in, in terms of the marketplace that they're selling it selling it on. But then the funniest thing is that they give you these two choices and one of them, comes with zero ownership so one of the choices is the is the company telling you hey you can buy this it's the same price as the physical and guess what i'm going to deliver it to you immediately um but you actually don't own it and it's just so incredibly weird that we've that consumers have been given this choice time and time again and the majority of consumers have said i'll take it i'll take the convenience it's it's just, just too much. I can't. I can't do it. It's too hard for me to wait 24 hours to, to play this game or to buy this game. Uh, it's too too hard for me to drive or walk or take the subway to GameStop and Best Buy to physically pick up the game. That's just it's too much for my life. I can't do it. Um, so give me the game immediately, and I don't care if I don't own the game. That, to me, has been one of the weirdest most asinine things that I think our industry has done and it's something that I I might bring up in a future video where I really talk about how there are a lot of consumers so consumers like me that prefer physical that we are handcuffed to the majority of other consumers so basically the choice is being made for me by other consumers at some point I'm not going to be able it's looking likely that I may not be able to buy a physical version of a game that I like Um, and like I said, we have access to all this information where companies have shown that they have no problem with deleting games. They don't really care as much about backwards compatibility. Um, they don't really care too much about game preservation and you have access to all this information. You still make the choice of, yeah, I'll give up my ownership um, for the convenience of being able to play this game right now. <laughs> it's, it's it's so insanely crazy um, to me that we might get there one day. And I think the only thing that's going to change is if consumers fight back and consumers say, hey, even if this, is, if this is digital, I want ownership of my game. I want agency. I want it so that, you know, if my friend asks me about how... Uh, yeah you know, the new dead space game is I can digitally lend them the game and send them my license and let them hold on to the game for a, for a little while, or I can buy and sell a digital copy of a video game uh if that doesn't happen, games just got now really worse because now we're we're paying seventy dollars for something that we really don't own, and I still to this day don't understand why people have the majority of their games digitally. And you're essentially trading convenience for ownership. And I'm just baffled. I just don't get it. I, I don't understand it. <laughs> Why someone will want to make that trade. It's definitely not a fair trade. Our next story is about Overwatch. So Overwatch 2 released its sixth season on August 10th, alongside its launch on Steam, which was review-bombed so hard It quickly became the worst rated game on Steam's entire platform. Like the entire history of Steam, it somehow hit number one, which is kind of crazy and insane to think about. So, this was without a doubt the biggest season that Overwatch has ever, Overwatch 2 has ever put out. You know, I've been playing Overwatch since the original came out, like what, six years ago or something like that. So, I know. I am very well aware of every single season, every single content drop that this company has done. This is definitely, without a doubt, the biggest drop of content that I've seen. Um, and it's also kind of weird. You know, A lot of people are talking about the new support hero, Iliadi. But I think what's interesting is that, and it's actually been confirmed by Blizzard themselves, by the Overwatch team, is that this is the game that we were supposed to actually get last October. And they're now saying that, hey, August 10th is now actually the official release date of Overwatch 2. We are no longer in early access. And that's how they've really looked at um, Overwatch 2 is that when it it launched last October is actually um, early access. And obviously you can tell because of how much money Blizzard put into advertising this brand new season. They really advertised it almost like Overwatch was coming out. The advertising budget for August 10th was way higher, much bigger than it was for when the game first dropped last October, right? There I, there were bus, ad- I remember here in New York alone, I saw a lot of billboards. I saw bus ads. Obviously they had this entire campaign uh, using John Cena. So imagine you probably paid John Cena like $10 million or something to um, maybe for like, half a day's work <laughs> to film one video of him taking a hoodie off and saying i'm the enigma prepare for the invasion you paid this man like 10 million dollars right um obviously launching on steam they're on the steam front page they they have a game pass promotion right now where if you are a game pass i think you have to be game pass ultimate if you're a game pass ultimate subscriber and you download uh overwatch 2 and you connect it to your game pass account you automatically unlock every single hero so far introduced in Overwatch 2. So Sojourn, Junker Queen, all those that have been introduced since last October. And you also, if I'm not mistaken, gained one legendary skin for each of those um, characters, which which retails usually a minimum $19 each. Uh, And this is something that they they had to pay Microsoft for, right? So this was a really, really big marketing campaign they put together for this game. The Steam um, concurrent players, I think, peaked at 75,000. It hasn't been able to reach that number after the launch. That's okay. I don't feel like it's it's it it might kind of seem or sound a little bit bad, like, oh, man, only 75,000. But it's actually not terrible because that number should represent new players. Like the majority of that 75,000 should be brand new players. The amount of Overwatch players that will all of a sudden just give up Battle.net and just start using Steam as a launcher is probably relatively low. Like I know for me, I have both of these launchers installed on my PC. I'm not going through the trouble of you know going through steam and you know i don't have, i don't know if i have to like i have to uninstall my battle net version download the steam version reconnect my account it's just it's not really worth the trouble and i think a lot of battle net players are, are thinking um the same exact thing but then there are so many other things that were added to the game they finally um improved the practice range. They actually made it useful. Right now, the the, the practice range, the way that it used to be, has been the same for years. Um, And it was like, okay, it was okay at launch. It was all right. Um, But very quickly, it just became utterly useless because it it just really wasn't a good way for you to practice different abilities, different scenarios. Um, It didn't really have anything in terms of like target practice. They added all of that in, in one fell swoop. You know, they added some sort of a progression system so that now every time that you end a game, there's a bit of a progression. So if I'm using someone like uh, Anna, uh, I have individual levels for every small thing that she can do. Her healing, her damage, Uh, how many allies did you save from death? How many uh, people did you sleep? For example, how many enemies have you slept? They all have their little bar, and they all add up to like one overarching uh, sort of progression level, which I think is 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 cool because at the end of every match in the original Overwatch, you had medals, uh, you know, gold, silver, bronze, and they were you know dependent on damage, healing, and all these different things that you can you, you can look at, and it was just a really cool way to feel like rewarded at the end of of a match. That was now, that was taken away. Uh, And I feel like this was supposed to be his his replacement. That was probably supposed to be the last October, but they weren't able to do it. And then obviously they, the big part of this was releasing the invasion missions, which which were $15 for um, three missions. Um, So yeah, the review bombing is kind of one of those things where I do look at it from two sides of the coin where, I think to myself like hey this is something that blizzard created like you created this venom in an essence like you've you've you it's almost like you created the environment for this bacteria to grow <laughs> in a sense right um because of all the decisions that blizzard made and the fact that it's very blatant like the decisions that Blizzard made weren't made with the player in mind. They were really made with money in mind. Like, hey, if we make these changes, we can make more money. And when you do that type of stuff, you're going to create something like this where people are going out of their way to leave negative reviews. The other way that I do look at it, though, is that if you're a person who for whatever reason, and like really likes Overwatch. And there are people out there who are angry, but still play the game, which I think is kind of funny, but are angry and also still want the game to continue. They want the game to grow. So, the way that I look at it is that Steam is a very good way to get brand new players in, which is an, a very important metric for any free to play game. And by doing this, you're essentially deterring new players. It's almost like you're working against what you want to happen, uh, as opposed to being uh, constructive, not only with your criticism, but constructive with your wallet. I can't even count how many people that have have said and claimed that all oh, this thing sucks. I hate it. But then they're they're buying battle passes or, man, I really don't like this stuff, but they're buying skins. Yeah, I've seen so many content creators over the last few months uh, on on YouTube, um, Overwatch content content creators that talk about how disappointing these three missions look. Like, oh, it looks like an hour of content for $15. It's not worth it. And then they end their video by saying, well, you know, I'm still going to buy it. What are you talking, like, what are you doing? And this is the thing I try to tell people is like your money is really what matters. You guys have to stop buying battle. I haven't spent a single penny on this game and I've been playing it for eight months. And one of the like one of the reasons why I haven't spent any money on the game, part of it is because I just haven't really been impressed with any of the battle passes. There is no way in hell uh Blizzard's ever gonna get me to buy a skin. I'm not paying you $19 for fake virtual clothes for a first person shooter. <laughs> it's just it's just not gonna happen. I don't think that's a smart use of my money. It's it's just not gonna happen, like I said. Um, but there is a possibility that maybe one time I might give you $10 for a battle pass because I am still enjoying the game. I'm still having fun. But the other part of it is that every $10, you know, I am telling Blizzard that, hey, all these decisions that you made are okay. And they're not okay because there are still so many like stingy, weird, um, choices that they made and they're really choices made to serve, uh, the executives to to generate more revenue. And I don't want to reward that type of behavior. I've been accruing, I've accrued so many cosmetics because I've been playing this game since the original Overwatch. And I've watched all the cosmetics being added into Overwatch 2. And there are so many things, skins, emotes, voice lines, that have never been reintroduced. Like, it has been completely inaccessible to players. And so much of that stuff could just be simply given away for free, just to reward people for playing your video game. As it stands right now, every season, which lasts like, what, two and a half months or something like that, you can earn enough currency to buy one legendary skin for one hero. That's that's not good. <laughs> or maybe you can buy, like, three emotes or something like that every two and a half months. You know, it's, it, it's not a really rewarding experience. I can only imagine how non rewarding it is. If you're a brand new player and you are not ready to spend money yet, because when you start the game, you have access to like six heroes and you have to essentially play and unlock. So it's like, you're being marketed like, Hey, check out this brand new hero, Iliati, uh, who, who has a, a really fun kit and you're told like, hey, if you play this game without without paying for anything, maybe you'll be able to unlock her in like two months or something like that. Or they introduce something where I think you could pay, pay like five or ten bucks and you unlock everything, right? So they're 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 selling shortcuts essentially. So it, that that type of it's so deceptive, right? Because I'm I'm telling you, hey, give me these five bucks, you'll get everyone. Or grind for two months, you stupid idiot. What would you rather do? Right so so much of this game is still so deceptive. When I look at that progression system that they added into it, it's like, "Oh, this is kind of cool. This is this is kind of kind of fun," right? Uh to add into the game. Um you know, to see some progression especially for the heroes that you really enjoy. But what are you unlocking? You're unlocking name cards, uh player cards, which are like these little things that you can put underneath your tag. So if your tag is super donut or something like that you can add a little tag that says mortal or like i can't even remember any of them because i I don't like them i don't really use them i'm not a fan of them uh and then you have access to these small little photos like a player icon why can't people unlock skins (laughs) here, like or or emotes or something there are thousands upon thousands of cosmetics for this game old and new like It's just too cheap. Like you guys are being too cheap. You guys are being too greedy. Like why, if I'm progressing, like every 10 levels of progression, I get at least a skin. A lot of these skins are just color changes, right? It's another color for like the base skin. Um, Jesus, like just give people that. (laughs) Like, you know, and the thing about it is that I've always said this about free to play games. You have to give before you ask, it's, it's, it's a very, very important part of the consumer-publisher uh, uh, relationship, the people who make the game versus the people that play it. If I create a product and I'm making something and it's free to play, right, free to enter, you don't have to pay anything to download this game, I feel like it's extremely important for me to give before I ask, for me to give you value because once you give a consumer value, they're going to become much more comfortable with paying money. And I think that's the important thing, right? It, it's important for me to make you comfortable and make you happy enough that you want to pay money, right? Because it should be part of that relationship. It should be part of that agreement because I personally understand it, right? I understand you need the money to keep this thing going. Servers aren't free, right? Um, But to me as a consumer, like I said, I don't mind giving $10 for the Battle Pass. I've been playing this game for, it's going to be a year in October. I haven't spent a single penny. And sometimes I play it daily. Sometimes I might just play a few times a week, but I'm getting a lot of entertainment from this product. And at some point, if I'm feeling good and I'm having fun, I'm going to feel more comfortable with giving you this money. But but Blizzard looks at like it the other way. They look at it as like how many small little tricks can we put together in order to trick people into spending money? Like I remember they once sold a skin, a Bastion skin, for for one coin. It was a single coin, and I had the coin because I earned the premium currency. But I said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to give you this because you're going to throw my currency out of whack. And some, I remember one person uploaded a video. Uh, uh, I, I think I saw it on Twitter, where they, because of that purchase, they were at 999 premium coins that they that they that they earned, and the battle pass is a thousand. You know, it's it's a tactic made for you to add more currency. They still have this thing in the game where if they sell you a bundle and it includes a skin, the bundle's twenty six dollars and it includes a legendary skin and whatever a charm a voice line a highlight intro whatever it is and you go to the shop it costs $26 but let's say you only want the skin if you're in the shop the game doesn't tell you hey you can actually um you can actually just buy this skin for $19 the shop doesn't tell you that but if you go to that hero's hero gallery you can just go to their skins and buy just the skin for $19 So it's small things like that that are obviously deceptively built. They're built on purpose so that if someone goes to the shop, they think, oh, my God, that skin's amazing. Uh, I'm going to have to pay $26 to get it. I don't really care about the other stuff, but it looks like in order for me to get it, I have to pay $26 when in reality, you can actually buy separately for $19. And it's like I said, it's just those small things like that, that. Consumers just don't trust you. And then on top of all of that, you canceled literally. And I can say this with 100% certainty. Once again, as a person that's been playing Overwatch for years, you canceled the one thing that would have served the dual purpose that every free to play game needs. It would have kept the old players happy and it actually would have drawn in new players it's that's like that's that's the dream for any video game is to how can i keep my old players but then draw in brand new players that pve mode would have absolutely 100% done that the developers were right with the direction that they were heading but blizzard said no they wanted more money they let greed take control of the wheel and now they're selling like the they went through the graveyard (laughs) of the thing that they canceled now they're picking up these small pieces and saying can we you know just spit shine this a bit and actually sell it and now they're selling these missions at 15 dollars and that's another distinction it's 15 dollars you can't use any currency that you've already earned so the game has this premium currency that if you do weekly challenges, you can earn money. So right now I've earned enough money to unlock a battle pass, which is normally 10 bucks. If I wanted to, I, I'm choosing not to, because I still don't like this year's battle, this week's, this month's, or you know, two months battle pass. But you cannot use that premium currency for these three missions you have to pay $15. And yes, it does come with a 1,000 coins as part of it. So you can sort of try to do the mental math and and say you only pay five bucks for it. Um, But regardless, right? It's like they're breaking their own rules in order to make more money, right? Because, oh, sorry, you know, I know I said that this currency that you earned, you can spend it however you want. You can buy a skin, you can buy an emote, you can buy uh, a battle pass, uh, but no, sorry, you can't buy this one thing that I added into my shop. No, you can't buy the missions. You have to use actual real world money. It has to be $15. So like I said, every decision that Blizzard makes is is greed, it's greedy, it's cheap. (laughs) It, It really is to serve you Uh, to remind you like, hey man, give me money. And like I said, I I understand that. I don't think that anyone should feel entitled to be able to play a game completely for free forever. But I think the important thing is that fans feel like they're enjoying the game enough that that they're buying things. The original Overwatch gave you loot boxes, but then they also sold loot boxes. People bought loot boxes, even though there was a way to earn them, they still went out and they bought them, right? Blizzard made money off of those loot boxes. But the reason why those loot boxes were selling, even though right next to them, they were actually giving them away for free for doing various things. Every time you level up, you got a, you got a free loot box, um, was simple. Players were enjoying the game so much that they were okay with giving the company more money. Happy players spend money. It's it's a very simple concept. You guys, Blizzard, I know you, I know you're listening to this. You can steal it, take it. Happy players spend money. That's that's the direction that you need to take your game in. Now, our final story is about Rockstar, and uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I put out an entire video about this on our YouTube channel, YouTube.com/slash Camp Koji. So please go check it out, talking about this acquisition. So last week, Rockstar announced that they were acquiring cfx.re, the team behind the biggest role-playing mod servers, 5M and RedM. So as I said, I, I, I go really in-depth into it in, in that video. Please go and watch it, uh, like it, subscribe, share if you, if, if you, if you enjoyed it. And... Let's just give a quick summary of, of of all of this. So, Grand Theft Auto Six launched in, excuse me, Grand Theft Auto Five launched in two thousand thirteen. Just as is normal with any video game, at some point, Grand Theft Auto Five is going to hit a a wall, right? No matter what, no matter how great your game is, there's it, it's not normal to sustain sales and sustain the type of sales that this game has been able to sustain uh, 10 years after the game initially released. And one of the reasons why we are still talking about this video game is because of role-playing servers. Now, historically, there have always been multiplayer mods added to Grand Theft Auto. Um, San Andreas I think Vice City even had one simple mod that let people play together and they just got more sophisticated as the games grew especially started with Grand Theft Auto 4 and Grand Theft Auto 5 was the first one to really begin experimenting with role-playing with letting people play a role in a game it's a brilliant idea and this has is, this is kind of been one thing that's always been interesting about our industry is a, some of the best ideas when we think about uh, multiplayer games or setting trends have been done by modders. And I think part of it is because modders have a blank page, right? You can approach uh, things, you can come up with ideas of, of games that you want to play and just kind of go for it. It's not the same with a company right? Internally, if someone at Rockstar said, hey guys, don't you guys think it would be kind of cool if we put a mode in where you could like be a police officer or you could be a doctor or you could run ammunition like you're the guy behind the counter selling the bullets and the guns to other players. That's like an idea that someone that you probably get laughed out the room a bit because it is a little bit hard for a company like i feel like a company for like rockstar to see the appeal in something like that where you're like what are you talking about we're on a grand theft auto we have gta online people are doing heists and robbing banks and shooting and killing each other and stealing cars why the hell would one someone want to stand in one place and wait for people to come to them to, to sell stuff like it's it's that's kind of like a dumb idea right but the thing about modders is that they can give it a try the only thing that they have to lose is their time. That's it. That's all you have to lose. And I guess, in essence, time is, is, is money. So yeah, there's probably a monetary investment. But it's really like you're investing your time. Whereas if Rockstar were to try something like this, they're investing time, money, resources. They're investing a lot, right? You're taking people away from another project uh, that you had them on. So 5M built his infrastructure, and a bunch of people were were invited to be able to run their own servers. No Pixel is the biggest server community uh, that Five M has. Five M is for Grand Theft Auto Five. Red M is for Red Dead Redemption. And essentially, what's happened over the last few years is role playing is the single reason why Twitch has a viewership audience for Grand Theft Auto Five. That's not uh, that's not an opinion. It's just a fact when you look at the Twitch viewership is regularly over 100,000 concurrent viewers and the overwhelming majority of those uh, streamers are in a role-playing server. Maybe they're a police officer, maybe they're playing the role of a criminal or a homeless person, all these different things that people are doing. And obviously you had these large streamers like SQC, Summit, playing these role-playing games and really getting into it and creating unique voices and unique characters. And that appeal caused the game to entirely explode. I think I showed in that YouTube video of May 2021, there were over a million Twitch viewers. And that's the reason why these 5M has uh, more concurrent players than GTA Online has. Not, probably not, in its entirety, right? Because we have to include console players, which outnumber PC. But in terms of PC, it would seem that more people are role-playing than actually playing GTA Online. And if console players had access to role-playing, it would probably look the same over there, right? Um, Because it's a very unique, very different way to play a video game, especially multiplayer with other people. There's really nothing kind of like it right now um, in our industry, So Rockstar essentially was able to market test a feature for free. Think about that for a second. They were able to test, oh my God, this actually works. This is a good idea. And then they just went out and bought the company that did it. It really kind of reminds me of Valve and Counter-Strike where it's like, no one at Valve created Counter-Strike, but some modders did. And Valve was like, holy crap, this is like a thing, <laughs> right? People, people are actually into this thing. You know, same thing with Dota and, and things like Auto Chess. These are things that were created by modders and companies go, oh wait, hold on, there's a market here. This is what companies do when it comes to modifications. What you guys are doing as modders is you are market testing a feature and market testing a product for free so this is the reason why rockstar never shut these guys down this is incredible data for them to gather you think rockstar didn't have an internal team create their own characters and go into servers and gain feedback and 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 look at how this thing was working and try to find data to come to a conclusion of exactly how big something like this was, trust me, they were doing that for years. <laughs> 100%, I can guarantee you that because you guys were market testing something brand new for them for free, like I said. And I, I took a very skeptical approach to this when I put out the video. And I think publicly, a lot of the media, a lot of reactions like I saw to this on Twitter, we're positive. A lot of people are like, wow, this is great. Rockstar is embracing the community. And there are a lot of these nuggets of information that this does sound like a positive deal. Like this does sound like this platform is just going to get bigger and Rockstar is supporting that growth. But as I said earlier in this show, businesses don't do things to be nice. That it just It's just something that... So very rarely ever happens. Businesses don't do things uh, to be nice. They do things that are beneficial to them and hopefully can also be good for consumers. And consumers can look at it as a a, an, an overwhelming positive. And I think that's what's happening with this purchase. You know, my theory, like I said, is a very cynical one. And of course, I don't don't want this to be true, but it's just the way that I'm looking at it based upon the past history of Rockstar and based upon what we know about Take-Two is I think that Rockstar looked at this very simply. I think that internally at Rockstar, they've been working on a role-playing feature for years. I think they've had enough data um, looking back at 2020, probably beginning in 2020. I think they had access to enough data to take a small group of people from Grand Theft Auto 6 and say, I want you guys to start working on a concept of role-playing Grand Theft Auto 6. What would that look like? What can we do with this? And I think since 2019, 2020, they've been working on this and probably growing that team along the way. Um, and I think that this is part of their plans for Grand Theft Auto 6. It's part of GTA Online to have some sort of role-playing in it where you can play essentially cops and robbers, where you can be part of the police force, you can be part of the criminal force, um, and maybe even do things like doctor, whatever, blah, 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 okay? um, And I think that once that decision is made, and let's say, obviously, this is all theory, right? Let's say around 2022, you are looking at the progress and you say, "Yeah, this is good to go. I think this is something we are going to implement." Then the question goes, "What do we do with role playing?" Because at the end of the day, role playing, as it as it stands with 5m and no picks on all this stuff, um, there is no product that Rockstar currently has that competes with it. There's no direct competitor. Right? Grand Theft Auto doesn't have its own role-playing. The competition comes in with the fact that if you own GTA on PC and you're interested in multiplayer, you are either playing on GTA Online or you're playing a role-playing server. The time that you spend in a role-playing server, if you spend 10 hours in there a day, that is 10 less hours you're spending in GTA Online. If you're in GTA Online for 10 hours, at some point within those 10 hours, I, as Rockstar, can probably, hopefully convince you to spend real-world money to buy a shark card or, and, and do whatever. Or you're spending money within my game and, and earning things and unlocking things. More time that you spend in my game means uh, a higher chance that I can convert you into a consumer. That's really where the competition comes in. But now, if Grand Theft Auto launches their own role-playing, there comes a problem where now they do have a competing product. They do have a product that directly competes with role-playing. Now there's one route you can take as rockstar. And once again, look, this is all theory. So please just go on this ride with me. So there's something, there's one route that you can take. You make this announcement uh, um, or basically maybe a month before your announcement, two months before your announcement, you send 5M a cease and desist. You tell them you have to shut down this mod. And remember, if you shut down this 5M mod, you're shutting down thousands upon thousands of servers that are being run. By doing so, you are essentially forcing your consumers to go to GTA Online. Two months later, all of a sudden, you introduce GTA Online. You don't call it role-playing, but you, you, you say that as part of GTA Online, You can choose to be a career criminal or you can choose to protect the law or something like that, right? What's gonna happen? You have the, then you're gonna have the PR blowback where people are gonna go, wow, you guys just took this idea from modders. You basically stole it. You shut them down and now you're putting your own version out there. That's horrible PR. So how can we not, and then the other thing that you do is that now there's, um, I wanna say a risk. But now there's a chance if you don't cease and desist that this team will build a 6M, will build another version. And the thing about it is that when a, when a company builds a thing, when they build a feature, it's never, ever going to be as appealing as a modified version. Because if feedback goes into a mod and someone goes, man, isn't it cool if you can do this? Modders can build it very, very quickly. You can't do that as a publisher. So I'll give you an example. As I was researching for my story, I saw in T Grizzly's Grizzly World RP, I saw a video where he was doing like a car show or something like that. All of a sudden, this man pulls out his in-game phone, uh, opens up an app called Streamer or something like that. And he's live streaming what he's doing in the game. So he's pointing out the cars, and he's flexing, and he he puts the camera on himself, and he's showing his chain. He's like, "Oh, y'all y- ain't got these chains." And then he's showing his friend. His friend comes up. He's like, "Look at these diamonds. One of one. Y'all ain't got these. Y'all ain't got these." And all of a sudden, I see this in-game uh, indicator <laughs> that you're like six people were watching. So six people are playing inside of this role-playing server. They, I'm, 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 I'm gonna assume that they got an alert. They stopped what they were doing. They stopped driving their car. They pulled out their phone and they started watching this live stream from another streamer. Do you think Rockstar would ever put something like that into Grand Theft Auto Online, even if they did their own role play thing? Probably not. The amount of work to 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 pull something like that off. Is not going to be as easy as it would be with a modder. Once again, that has no red tape to cut through, right? Um, And there's so many features like that in the game in 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 GTA role playing, where there's no way that even if Grand Theft Auto does their own role playing, they can replicate at that type of scale or putting in those type of features. I'm trying to think about other stuff. Oh. Another thing that they have in role-playing is they have a, a built-in phone system. So, you know, not only is there proximity chat, I can pick up my phone, go through my list of contacts, and call someone else within that server that's obviously far away from me and tell them to meet me or let's meet somewhere. That's 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 a system that I just, I I don't, it's so... I want to say it's elaborate, maybe elaborate, but it's something that would, that would take such an investment that I could see a rock star saying like, ah, oh, no, we don't need that. I've, I've, I've seen, you know, these guys have like walkie talkies and role playing where it's like, okay, if we're driving, the proximity is not going to work. So we'll just pull out walkie talkies and they have certain bands that they tune into. And it's, it's just insanity. It's, it's crazy the amount of things that they like, I remember I saw this guy going to like a donut shop and he actually picked out the dough and then he went to one thing and like prepared the dough and then went to another station to drop the dough to make the donut. It's, it's going so in depth into the meticulousness that I don't, you know, it's, it's, there's no way that, that Rockstar can move as fast as modders in terms of gaining the feedback and then making those changes. So, Essentially, if you're a rock star, you want to do your own thing. You can't let a competitor, you can't let these other role-playing servers exist. You just can't allow it to happen. They're they're going to outshine you (laughs) at every turn. It's it's just the way that it is. So once again, you got access to two paths. I can see some of these guys and just do my own thing, but you get the PR blowback. There's a lot of negatives. But this move that they just made, has zero negatives to it, right? People are loving it. It's completely positive. But the issue that I I think that a lot of people are failing to see is that Rockstar now owns role-playing. They own role-playing. They literally own it. They own the feature that you guys created. And it's weird that no one, I I feel like not many people are bringing this up. The GTA, GTA, GTA Online subreddit, there's a lot of people that are really skeptical in there. But even in there, no one is going, guys, do you, do you know that this company was so big, 5M? Like, they were kind of the only game in town, pretty much, right? They owned the majority of this role-playing market share, right? 90% or whatever you want to go by. They just sold it all to Rockstar. Rockstar now owns role-playing the fact that no one is thinking like how this can be a bad thing is just weird to me like do you think that rockstar is going to allow you guys to continue doing what you're doing to infringe on copyrights to you think rockstar is kind of going to be okay for forever for you guys to take bmw and tesla models and put them in your servers okay yeah maybe it's not called the tesla but the model is still the same physical, physical model. You think they're not gonna force you guys to use their in-car models that they created, their in their in-game brands? This is it's it's insane. So, my theory is that they bought these teams, they now have access to all this technology, they now owe the kings to the kingdom, which means like at some point, once GTA 6 and their own RP thing matures. They can say, okay, you know, we're going to shut this team down. They're being absorbed into the GTA online team. You think that something like that is not possible? If something like this can't happen? Like no business company has ever shown you one thing, but that behind the scenes has been doing other things. This is a very, very real possible. This is a very real possibility That can happen. So yeah, it it might sound very doom and gloom from me, but in my opinion, Rockstar hasn't earned my personal trust to trust that they're all of a sudden gonna let, not only let these guys work on 5M, but what what do you think is gonna happen? They're gonna let you guys make a 6M, (laughs) keep running your own servers. Either they're going to heavily monetize everything, every step of the way. But in my opinion, if you're Rockstar, you want full control. You want complete control of everything. You don't want to risk someone putting in a mod. You don't want to risk people running servers, and you not having uh, direct control of, of these leaders, the people leading the server, you gonna want to put yourself into legal trouble as Rockstar. You can't vet every single person, every single server owner, every single server ex- ex- executor, every single server team. You can't vet every single server itself to ensure that each of them is following the rules. So that's why I sort of look at this as like, hey, I'm purchasing it now. I'm gaining all your data. I'm gonna give that data to my GTA Online multiplayer team so they can see how you guys are able to run servers with like 100 people and it run really, really smooth. They're, they, they, we now own that infrastructure. We now own that code. I'm gonna give that to my multiplayer team. I'm gonna let you guys keep building 5M. Make it better, right? Give people access to more tools. Do it. Knock yourselves out. But when the next Grand Theft Auto comes out, no, there's not going to be no 6M. I'm not going to allow it. That's what I feel is happening. The only other positive is that they're going the metaverse route and they're going to allow people to share revenue. But even with even if that happens, which I I, can't, I personally can't see, it is a possibility, though. I'm not going to say it's a 0% chance because I, I feel like Rockstar likes control, Um then people are going to be able to build things, and then maybe they'll be able to sell it. So you can make your own clothing line and sell shirts for five dollars, and Rockstar takes you know uh, three fifty, and you get a dollar fifty for every dollar for every shirt sold, or something like that. There is a possibility something like that could happen. I don't think it will. That to me is like the positive ending of all of this. I, I just I I'm sorry, but I don't I can't see a world where Rockstar keeps allowing you guys to just run your own servers. And obviously Rockstar is gonna want to bring this to console at some point. That's a much bigger pie. I don't know if you guys knew this, but way more people play console than they do on PC. And I don't know, like I personally can't see Rockstar saying, hey guys, we're gonna give you the tools to make a 5M for console. We're gonna give you guys the tools because they need these tools in order for this to happen, right? It's impossible right now. There's nothing that 5M could have done to put those servers accessible on console. I just can't imagine a scenario where Rockstar says, we wanna make this better and bigger. We're gonna give you guys the tools to allow these servers to be played by console players, which is once again, a much bigger pie than um than 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 PC players are doing. That's why I look at it as like for GTA Six, for GTA Online, they're building their own role playing. They're building their own thing. They're gonna have they're gonna have different I feel like they're gonna have different islands. I can see that happen. Like at some point they'll introduce Liberty City. It's like a whole brand new city uh, that you can go to and they're gonna have console players on it. And then on the side they're gonna let you guys continue running 5M but they're gonna be very strict with it. And the thing about it is, once again, you are banking. Everyone right now, if you love role-playing, you are banking. You are hoping, you are praying that Rockstar does the completely right thing, according to you as consumers and fans, that they keep this alive, that they keep it open. Because now you don't have a choice. At least before when they didn't own it, right? Unless they cease and desist it, you were free to do whatever, kind of whatever you wanted, pretty much. Almost whatever you wanted. Like, yeah, they they put some new parameters like a year ago. Hey, guys, don't don't steal IP and stuff like that. Okay, they put these little rules in place. But for the most part, you kind of weren't able to do and build whatever you wanted. And now Rockstar with one meeting, one meeting, a single meeting that they have, they can just basically kill role playing and say, we have the only game in town. It's called Grand Theft Auto 6 online or Grand Theft Auto Online, whatever the new version is. And if anyone out there tries to build a 6M or tries to build something similar, we're going to immediately cease and desist you. Because Rockstar and Take Two look at it as like we don't need you guys anymore. We just don't need you. We let you live because we were feeding off of you. We we let you you know uh, uh, you know make a little bit of money, you know, get a little bit of food, you know, uh, because we were learning. We we were we were siphoning data off of you. Now we don't need you anymore. We, we bought this company. Now we have access to all the data and technology that we need. Why would we let you build uh, something to compete with GTA Online? It's not going to happen. So unless you guys want to get together and make your own game and, and completely from the ground up and make your own role-playing game, you can't do it using Grand Theft Auto Tech anymore. It's not going to happen. That to me is the thing that people need to remember. What you guys need to remember is that this is a company that this week is going to sell Red Dead Redemption without multiplayer for $50 and then tell you, yeah, I think it's a great deal, <laughs> right? This is the same company that took their three biggest games, GTA 3, Vice City San Andreas, pretty much the three games that put them on the map, outsourced it, and at some point saw it and said, wow, this is <laughs> this is garbage, this is really bad. I <laughs> yeah, Just release it anyway, I don't care. They're going to buy it. There wasn't a point in time where they said, no, this isn't up to the Rockstar standards. We all know what the Rockstar standards are, right? Right there, Redemption 2, Grand Theft Auto V. We've seen what this company is capable of. We've seen how high their standards are. But when it came to the three, pretty much almost the three most important games in this company's history, they just said, yeah, whatever. Just give it to Grove, Grove Street Games This really shitty, small company over here. And we'll just watch over it. And we did. And it looks like crap. It's garbage. Whatever. We're going to release it. Yeah, we sold 19 million copies. We don't care. You think that they care about you guys? You think that they want you guys to continue doing this stuff for free? You think they're okay with T Grizzly making $200,000 a month? You think they're okay with this continuing? You really don't think that this is, they have any sort of ulterior motive with this? You think that Mr. Strauss Zelnick whose bonus is now affected by microtransactions. Do you think he's going to be okay with you guys having your own servers and adding cars and clothes and all this different type of stuff for free without them making any money off of it? I actually did the research and I'm going to, I might include this in a future video. Uh, Strauss Zelnick, the way his bonus works, they put up an example and I don't know if this is super accurate, but they put an example in his contract and if he goes 80% below target, so let's say they, 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 they tell him they need a certain target. Hey, for this year, we need to generate $600 million of recurring consumer spending, microtransactions, virtual currency, blah, 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 all that shit. They tell Strav Zelnik, we need you to hit $600 million. If he hits 80% of that target, he makes $0. And then it starts going up. If he makes 90% of that target, you get a million. Uh, 100%, I think it was like 3 million. It goes all the way up to 150%. Strauss Zelnick exceeds that target by 150%. You know how much that man makes? $13 million. And that was an example. That might be something that changes. So do you think Strauss Zelnick is going to to just all of a sudden leave the price of a new mansion on the table? just to be nice to you guys would be super generous and say yeah just run your own servers that's fine we're going to give these guys the tech to even, to make it even better and we're just going to stand by and let you guys add all this new stuff new mods uh new roles new technology new cars all that stuff completely for free we're not even going we're not going to make any money you guys actually are this gullible to trust this to, to trust take to that much in 2021 Take two generated more from recurring consumer spending than they did selling games. I'm gonna repeat that. The amount of money they, they made selling full games, whatever they sold that that, that year, Mafia, uh, old, you know, recurring uh, uh, you know, purchases of Bioshock, uh, Grand Theft Auto 5, NBA 2K, all those full games, whatever you pay for it, 20, 30, 40, 50, 70 dollars. Add all that together for an entire year, all those full games, it was less than they made from shark cards, uh, VC points on NBA 2K. You guys buying jerseys and sneakers and cars and all this shit, they made less than they did selling you guys the stuff piece by piece. And you did, and and I, I'm still blown away that people where people will look at something like this and think that there's not an ulterior motive you guys can't possibly be this gullible this is no way that you think that this company can't all of a sudden a few years take that team and just absorb them into the rest of the companies and and give you guys a line about like hey you know we're, we're cutting down we're slimming down we think this is better for the future of gta online you you really don't think something like this is possible you don't think a company would ever lie to you <laughs> and look i there's so many moments on this podcast where I bring up things, and they're sometimes from a skeptical point of view, because I think that is the way to be when it comes to dealing with dollars and donuts and businesses, where I usually say, geez, I hope I'm wrong. And this is one of those moments where it's like, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that in a few years from now, someone can listen to this and be like, aha, Joel, see, you were completely wrong. Rockstar was actually the really good guys. They were the nice guys. I hope I'm, I'm going to go and I go, geez, man, I hope I'm wrong. It's the same thing when I brought up with PlayStation with PSVR 2, where years ago I said, man, this thing is probably going to be a failure. And I said, I hope I'm wrong. As of right now, I feel like I've been right so far, but who knows? PlayStation could all of a sudden announce five new games in two months, right? And, and have a complete change around. But as of right now, I feel like I've been right, but I still hope I'm proven wrong because I don't, I don't want this to fail, Right. And I feel the same way with this with this acquisition. It's like I hope I'm wrong. I hope that people at Rockstar internally said, "Let's have a change of heart, guys." You know, and Strausonic was like, "You know, I don't need that 13 million dollars." You know, and and, he, and they're telling their shareholders, "Guys, we don't need to make a 300 percent return on our investment. We're fine with 30 percent." Let's give our employees bonuses, you know? Uh, uh, Maybe that happened. Maybe they had had a complete change of heart internally, and that's what's happening. I mean, yeah, I guess we'll wait and see. This week's high releases, August 15th, Green Hell, coming to PSVR 2. August 17th, Red Dead Redemption. PS4 and Switch, remember that's digital only. Kentucky Route Zero TV Edition, PS5, Xbox Series X. Vampire Survivor is coming to Switch. August 18th, Madden NFL 24, PC, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, and X. And then the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, PC, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and it is coming to Xbox Game Pass. Time to wrap it up. Stories we didn't have time to get to. Netflix has begun testing its cloud gaming service in UK and Canada, starting with Oxen Free and Mining and Adventure. Players use their smartphone as a controller to play on TV or mouse and keyboard on PC and Mac. Because yeah, I'm sure that's what everyone wants right now. With their with their cell phone is to use it for a controller <laughs> to play on a TV. What a stupid idea! Uh, PC and keyboard on Mac—that's pretty nice. That's that's kind of a nice thing. I said a long time ago. I think it's going to be one of the dumbest decisions Netflix has ever made. I think it's going to be an absolute failure. Uh, we'll have to uh, wait and see. I think they should just focus more on strictly mobile. Forget about streaming on you know TVs and PCs. Stick to mobile games. That's that's the way for you guys to go. All this other stuff is going to be a waste of money. THQ released teasers for two upcoming games: Tmnt, The Last Ronin, and South Park: Snow Day. Severely, I'm severely, severely disappointed in this South Park: Snow Day game. It looks horrible. Doesn't look good. it Looks very cheap. Looks very rushed. Uh, doesn't hold the candle to the last two RPGs that we got. Don't understand. You guys proved the formula; it was working don't understand why you didn't keep it the classic 2d soft park style this thing looks this thing reminds me of the n64 game it just doesn't look very good tmnt the last ronin i'm sorry i just do not trust this game it sounds great looking at the teaser and looking at the team that's building it which worked on destroyed all humans uh, i'm sorry i don't want to be mean to those developers but I don't like that this game was, was was sold as like God of War. I don't really like that because I feel like they're, they're they're setting the expectations really high on this game. Um, I really hope it's good. Um, but I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm personally not getting excited just yet. Shout outs. We got a few shout outs to Twisted Metal. The show became Peacock's most binged comedy premiere to date. Um, this is perfect example, actually. This is, a, this is a, a moment where I was glad that I was wrong. Because the previews were like horrible. The trailers were bad for this show. I was like, man, this thing does not look very good. It was fun. It was a really fun watch. Go check it out. And I really hope they add another season. Shout out to Ubisoft to move the date of Assassin's Creed Mirage up a week, October 5th. Good choice to get away from everything else coming out in the middle of October. Shout out to Larian Studios, Baldur's Gate 3 is now Metacritic's highest rated game of the year at 97. And it's also now the highest rated PC game of all time. It also surpassed its own Steam concurrent peak last week with 875,343 players. And that was 10 days after its release. It's phenomenal, phenomenal work. Big congrats to Larian Studios. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and YouTube at Camp Code for future updates. Once again, I'm Joel. And I'll see you all next week.